Welcome to Rock Album Analysts, your weekly podcast where three lifelong friends, rock musicians, and rock fans take an in-depth look at a different rock album each week. This is your host, David Lucarelli. This is John Carson. This is Mike Gavigan. And today we're going to be taking a look at Motley Crue's album, Quatch Quaternary. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, <laughs> So when Motley Crue released the self-titled album with John Karabi on vocals, there was an insert in the album uh, saying that you could get an additional EP of additional material uh, that was for the diehards only. And I think the Original pressing may have been limited to 22,000 copies somewhere in that ballpark. Hmm. So I was one of those guys. I ordered it and got it in the mail. And I thought it was cool at the time. I, I was, you know, like, I always think it's cool when you get extra stuff with an album, but, you know, something for the diehards where you get a whole other album you know in some ways that was really kind of ahead of its time it's like you want to take a deeper dive and listen to some more experimental less commercial tracks well here you go um you guys john i know you weren't even aware of the karabi album so obviously you didn't get this when it came out no not at all okay and then mike you're still waiting for yours to come in the mail so yeah i'm a little behind but uh, i did some research uh but yeah at the time i just thought it didn't seem that interesting for me to have to to mail in for something that you know would have been you know new material that i should have checked out i just i i didn't feel the need you know i don't know why but you know i, I like it i'm going to re reinvestigate it once i get you know my copy once it arrives in the mail but uh at the time i, I just really i wasn't interested you know, i'm embarrassed to say you know but I, but I but I agree with you, Dave, in terms of, you know, all of our favorite bands, like you name a band, if there's other stuff that we can get, we would check it out. But for some reason with this one, I just I wasn't interested. I don't know why. OK, yeah. Um, I mean, this was a really creatively fertile period for the band. Supposedly they cut something like 27 tracks in the studio. So they obviously had a lot of leftover material. Um, I actually have a bootleg DVD I've mentioned before where they are rehearsing and playing a whole bunch of songs that aren't either on the self-titled album or on Quaternity. And they're all like fully realized songs. So, um, but let's just dive in and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about these tracks here. Uh, Quaternity kicks off with the Tommy Lee track, Planet Boom. Okay, so the first thing that set me out listening to this album is that there's a Yes album called Fragile where they let all the guys do one self-produced song on the album. You know what I mean? It's sort of like okay. their little solo yeah. thing. So that's what I took this to be is what if they had made sort of a Fragile, this would be littered throughout it or whatever. Right, um, or it's like the Kiss solo albums, but everybody gets one track, essentially. Right, yeah, exactly, yeah. So uh, Planet Boom, I, I mean, I thought it was pretty cool that it's written by Tommy Lee. I've got, um, you know, one of the, another interesting thing is they use a lot of, the, um, like, dialogue of them talking back and forth, sort of remixed, you know what I mean? It's almost like, hey, we're getting a, you know, a, a fly-on-the-wall view of this kind of stuff, although it's not really... A lot of it also reads like the I've got blisters on my fingers. You know, was it actually something yeah. that they came up with? You know what I mean? You You're know. suspecting kayfabe. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. So um, they, uh, so I, I actually, my favorite part was like, what do you do? Work at a bank? 
Um, so, <laughs> oh yeah, Tommy Lee says, you know, ah, you know, I hate wearing clothes, and they get, well, why don't you play naked? Why do you work at a bank? Yeah, right. 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 <laughs> um, yeah, in, in some ways, the banner is more interesting than some of these songs. Right, yeah, I thought that was actually the most interesting thing. It's serviceable industrial. I remember it from uh, Barb Wire. I remember seeing that movie. You know what I mean? So. Um, right. And Tommy Lee actually put a version of a different version of the song on his solo album, I want to say. Yeah. Right. Which had the video that was on. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that, too. So I actually am very familiar with the song. and didn't realize I was that familiar with the song. And the song is uh, serviceable industrial. There's nothing that goes on there. I mean, it's not it's not Rob's, Rob Zombie level. You know, there, whenever you listen to a Rob Zombie song, you sort of think. There's something going on in there, but I don't really know what. You know what I mean? And, and <laughs> you know, this apparently this song is all about a freaking car, but maybe there's more going on. You know that kind of stuff. Um, but they sort of do take a play, you know, a page from the Rob Zombie book of sort of a lot of repetition and that kind of stuff. So it's it's serviceable. I liked it. I mean, I liked it in the movie. It works more. It made me think of the movie more than it did of like actually paying attention to the song. All right, Mike. Yeah, I, I agree with you know everything that John said. It's kind of like a you know rap industrial metal kind of thing happening. Uh, it's cool to hear Tommy sing some lead vocals. You know, hey, you know, like again, like you know the Kiss solo album concept. Um, you know, the riffs are, are heavy, and it. Um, I, one of the interesting things I found about this was I didn't realize it. I don't remember them doing it, but I guess they played it on the uh, the Motley Crue album tour that was part of the set list. I don't remember them playing it. I I vaguely remember them doing it, but I I, w I don't know if they really did it live or if they just played it as one of the part of the pre-show. Oh, okay. I mean, that's why I don't remember it. All right. Well, okay. Well, either way, um, you know. But in terms of you know, the rock aspect of it, you know, the, the descending riffs in the song remind me of Alice in Chains, which you know would have been around that time as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I also agree that sometimes the, you know the dialogue on this on this EP is more interesting than the songs, but in a fun way, it's kind of cool to hear, you know, musicians sort of, and producers, you know, kind of taking the piss out of each other, you know, <laughs> because anytime you've ever seen footage of, you know, Bob Rock working with another band, with, with a band, there's always that kind of thing, like, you know, well, okay, go ahead, Kirk Hammett, be the guitar guy, give me a solo, you know, and then like, <laughs> there's Lars in the background going, oh, that's horrible, what, what's going on, you know, so it's interesting because you've got a producer like Bob Rock, who's such a great producer and gets great, you know, work out of artists, but then there's always that negative vibe in the studio when you see those guys you know, doing their thing. But at the same time, we've all been in studios doing stuff and it's fun to see musicians interact. And you know, when somebody's not really you know, doing their thing and you gotta, you gotta get better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the last thing I'll say about it is it's, cool. it's a cool thing for let's say non-musicians or people who've never recorded in a studio um, see what really goes on because it's a high pressure situation but there's also a lot of joking around as well. And that somehow brings about a better product. It's interesting you say that because the first thing that pops into my mind is the concept of like postmodern deconstruction. Like, and I know that's totally ridiculous when you're talking about Molly Crew, but a lot of artwork at this point was showing the process. You know what I mean? It was like, mm -hmm. this is how it's done, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So maybe mm -hmm. that was sort of what was informed in this kind of stuff. I mean, I'm sure it was just like, part of it was like, look at how cool we are, but a lot of like movies at the time and, I can't think of any examples, but I'm thinking of like different photographers and things like that. They would show the setup. They would show, you know what I mean? There would be stuff that mm -hmm. it, it showed the process of the creation of the work or whatever. Now, mind you, the process they're showing is about 
Tommy Lee complaining about having to wear clothes, but still, it's, yeah. you know, <laughs> they're, they're definitely showing you that there is, there is other people at work in there's, you know what I mean? That this stuff doesn't just spring from the head of Zeus. There's people that actually like make it. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I kind of, I kind of dig the track. It's, you know, it's got that industrial techno rap influence thing that, I mean, it's funny if you go back and listen to shout at the devil, even those riffs have kind of an almost industrial quality about them on like yeah. looks that kill and shout at the devil because they're so repetitive and sort of relentless and, you know, but uh, this was definitely the direction that Tommy Lee was heading and was going to drag the band kicking and screaming <laughs> into on the next album uh, for better or for worse. So this is kind of the, really the first big sign of it that we have. Then we have bitter sweet, which is a nice little pun. Bitter sweet. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I like the double guitars. I don't know if that's Mick um, harmonizing with himself or it's him with John Karabi or whatever, but I think that's pretty cool. I like all the different, um, you know, different, um, styles that he takes on um again it's it's a showcase for his playing but it doesn't stick out there's nothing there that sort of like says you know here's the best part of this thing you know what i mean like he sort of just sort of tacks on different parts and they all sound great you know what i mean it's definitely like the, he really knows what he's doing he definitely is um you know trying to show that he knows how to play guitar and can play in different styles and all that kind of stuff um and play something that's pretty rather than something that's so heavy all the time. Um, but again, it, it feels, and I, I like it, you know, you know what, I'm going to leave it at that. I liked it. It's what, you know, I, I didn't mind listening to it. I enjoyed it. Mike. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it too. And I'll, you know, back up uh, John's comment about how, you know, Mick sort of shows different uh, guitar styles. I mean, because you got like the cool chord changes that are very reminiscent of, uh, you know, classic Thin Lizzy song or, or Vandenberg in a way. Uh, but then you also have like the cool like surf guitar at the end and the outro. Um, you know, it, but, at, you know, at the same time, too, it would have been cool to hear if Mick had some lyric ideas or you know, did like a vocal on it in a way. That's what that's the one piece I think that's missing with this one. It would have been a real like it's almost like did they were there lyrics? Did he write lyrics? Was he going to sing a song? He just not want to sing a song. It would have been cool to hear him sing something, I think. Um, but the, the last thing I'll say is, um, I remember reading some interviews around this time, um, and also just prior to this, with, when this uh, EP came out, there was talk of Mick doing like a, you know thinking about doing like a solo album at some point, you know. And was and there's still talk about Mick doing a solo album. Yeah, because that, that again, I just wanted to verify that never that never came to be, right? Well, supposedly it's done, it's in the can, it's coming out any day now, oh. um, be because now that they've delayed the stadium uh, tour another year, I mean, what else is he going to do? I mean, I've even read interviews where he said, I'll go and to on tour and support it. Um, oh. The only thing that I've heard about, you know, right when he started recording it, they, they let some audio snippets out when he was working with this one vocalist in Nashville. And mm. then after, and they sounded good, it sounded interesting. And then later on, it, it turned out that I think he decided to work with a whole other people and that material is not even going to be on the album. So, oh, okay. um, but yeah, listening to this, it definitely makes me excited to hear the long promised, yeah. long awaited Mick Mars solo album. Um, I agree, yeah. John, this is not like a fractured mirror where it not only shows off 
him as a guitarist, but is actually a piece in and of itself that really is is worthwhile listening to just by itself. But it definitely shows the many faces of Mick Mars as a guitar mm-hmm. player. And, you know, so I, I, you know, it's it's emotional. It definitely, you know, mm-hmm. puts the hairs on the back of my head up a bit. So, you yeah. know, I, I appreciate it. Um, speaking of emotional, there's a track called Father. And again, I guess this is another uh, Tommy Lee thing. I don't know if he's actually writing it about his father. It, I believe this is a Nikki Six thing. Yeah. Oh, you're right. It is okay. I'm looking that up right now. Um, so, well, it reads industrial. There's what did I? Um, I like the guitar stuff at the beginning. You know, the sort of like bright guitar chords that are over top of it at the beginning. Um, it kind of reminds me of something you would write, John. You know, it kind of has like a dead things quality to it. Okay, so. all right, yeah, like a beat. Um, yeah, like a, a strong straight eight kind of thing, maybe. I don't know, something like that. Okay. Well, and the arpeggiated chords that you let mm-hmm. ring. You know, that's a thing uh-huh. that you would do. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like big country a little bit. No, I'm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the um, so originally I didn't bother to look up the lyrics because I was like it because it starts out with this sort of like filthy thing about cocaine and hookers and things like that and I'm like already kind of like I don't know you know is this just going for shock value and then you look it up and you're like this is um obviously about his dad I would guess you know what I mean um but again there's nothing that sets it aside as I mean it's purely emotional there's nothing it's the it's the universal trying to become personal so that we can all relate to it anybody who's ever had a father or parent out of the picture you know what i mean we can all sort of relate to it because there's nothing specific in the song we can put ourselves in the song you know um and it definitely but and then at the same time the way that everything is delivered it's super brutal you know what i mean it's just like how he's really feeling about it it's like that um you know, I'm thinking of that, like John Lennon's song, Mother, you know what I mean? It, yeah. it, where he screams mother as loud as he can. And, you know, and it's just sort of that real rough, you know, kind of thing. So it almost feels like a little bit informed by that because it's it's just about pure emotion. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily there's nothing clever in the lyrics at all. You know what I mean? There's not a moment where I'm just like, you know, I mean, there's you um, you made me like a, a gun without a bullet or something like that. You know what I mean? And, I would say more like a gun without a, a dad would make you like a gun w- without a dad. You would be a gun without a safety. You know what I mean? Instead of, I don't know, but mm. I mean, I sit whereas, but again, I don't fault him for that because he's obviously just pouring everything out. You know what I mean? So I, I, at first I didn't like it. And then I, you know, paid a little more attention to it and did like it. Okay. For me, uh, it was cool, to, you know, to, to know that you know we've got a song that Nikki's going to sing. You know, that that was a cool thing to check out. Uh, but I think the problem with it is, if there is one, I can't really. I had a hard time understanding what he's singing. Yeah, you know, mm. there's something about the mix, you know, and I, I'm sure Dave will give us some insight on what the lyrics were about. You know, with the intro mentioning you know, cocaine and syringes and snack and hookers, and I immediately thought of like the movie uh, An Officer and a Gentleman. You know, mm. where the, you know, the main scene when they come in is like, you know. Uh, Mayo's, you know, dad is like, hey, we're gonna have a you know, graduation party, and we're gonna, you know, get messed up and get get drunk and you know get some hookers and show you off and you know in a, in a great way, you know. But it, you know, but would that play into what these lyrics are about? Is it really, you know, I don't know that much about Nikki's life with his dad. You know, can you, Dave, explain a little bit more about what, what might be behind this song? But otherwise, you know, I think again, the, the chorus sound on the guitar is cool, and the verses, 
it's great to know that we've got a song that Nikki sings, but I just had a hell of a damn time trying to uh, understand when he's singing. But also, too, I think the piano outro at the interesting was an interesting twist. Yeah. But in terms of the, you know, the concept that, you know, and the lyrics, you know, help, help me out. Yeah, I mean, Nikki's dad was pretty much just not in the picture. And I think when Nikki ran away from Seattle to L.A., Nikki's dad was in L.A. and Nikki tried to reach out to him and his dad didn't want to have anything to do with him. Um, and his relationship with his mother was in also fucked up in other ways you know so he really didn't have uh, either two stable parents which is why i think he gravitated towards living with his grandparents um through you know much of his youth um in a way it's interesting if you think about it like there's a lot of parallels between him and gene simmons except mm. the, the gene actually had a stable positive role model for her mother but neither of them had fathers in the picture uh hardly at all so um you know this is one of two songs that nikki has sung in motley Crue. there's one on the next album too and um you know he's he's not really uh a, a much of a singer so I, I i don't know that that it it it's necessary to have him singing this song. Um, I want to say on the Generation Swine tour during his solo, they kind of did part of this song because I remember he was playing like a bass solo and they had filmed video footage of him uh, going to his father's grave. And that was like being shown on a screen behind him. And I think they referenced this song during that part. So, um, little trivia there friends the john karabi song great elo song or air <laughs> supply song i mean i i liked it i mean i i i like that they took a chance you know what i mean and like did this incredibly over orchestrated elton john elo you know um Beatles, Queen. Beatles, yeah, Queen, everything in there. I mean, it was totally over the top. Doesn't sound like a Molly Cruz song. But again, I think he's John Karabi's trying to stake his claim, you know, and, and in many ways saying like, we can, we now write actual songs, not like Home Sweet Home, which was, you know, um, a good song, but definitely had one of the clunkiest piano parts ever. And now we have, you know, this fully orchestrated great ballad um, which still doesn't necessarily hold up to Home Sweet Home, you know what I mean? As, as good as a song. Um, yeah, Home Sweet Home's a kind of quirky song, but it's still something about it just works. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's got, what did I, did I write anything here? Yeah, I wrote Beatles Air Supply ELO. That's what I wrote. <laughs> That's for my notes on the song. So um, I, I, I actually enjoyed it, but again, it's not a song I was going to really stick to because it, I didn't even bother to read the lyrics. It seemed a little bit like, you know, you're my friend because I love you. You know, you're my best friend. Sort of like that Queen song. You know what I mean? That's kind of the vibe I got. So, again, incredibly well done, well produced, great musicianship, all that kind of stuff. But still nothing that makes it stand out to me. Yeah, definitely the the piano chord changes are, are very Beatles-ish, also ELO, and I think just arrangement-wise and uh, tone-wise, it reminds me of the ELO, ELO songs, Telephone Line and Mr. Blue Sky. Yeah, Mr. Blue Sky is what I thought of, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, these are, these are great chord changes. And again, this is a different band than, you know, what we're used to, you know, before this Motley Crue, Motley Crue, you know, album and, and this EP came out. Uh, the chorus is for sure very ELO, but also reminded me of Beach Boys in a way with all the great vocal harmonies. Mm -hmm. And also the Beatles sort of la, 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 la kind of things that they do. It, it's cool. I mean, it's, it, it's a whole different band. It, it, to me, I was mentioning the day before we got into the discussion that, again, I didn't have this, this EP in my possession when it came out. And once I get it, I'm going to check it out because now it, this whole thing is kind of making me want to revisit and check it out because there's something that I've, you know, had to investigate because of the podcast, but also I'm excited to hear it and, and give it some more you know, in-depth listening after, you know, we discuss it. Um, yeah, but cool. I mean, you know, again, it's a great band. They're showing diversity in terms of their writing and, and stretching out. And then, you know, have all these funny, weird intros, you know, with all these, you know, it's basically like a theme with all these, with, with all these songs in the CP. Like, I'm going to get a lawn chair, I'm going to get a drink, I'm going to get some smokes and some bread meat and a gun. It's, yeah. you know, again, it's part, it, it's interesting to me that the songs are, you know, the intros and, and the background stuff is equally uh, entertaining. Yeah, there's some line there where, where he says, uh, that's just you and your granny fantasy or something. Yeah. He says granny yeah. fantasies. That's like out of nowhere. He just says, yeah. like, what? Yeah. Right. Well, you know, this is from the guy who wrote for a treat, gave it free, happy 63. So, you know, <laughs> he may have granny fantasies. I don't know. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a little ironic that not too long after this album came out motley crew would go on to sue john karabi for his share yeah. of the money um so you know but again when you're on a sinking ship and you've got to try to keep the yeah. the boat afloat you got to do what you can to survive i guess you know yeah you got to um, talk about that later really they sued him for what i don't understand explain that story i you know i don't remember the exact details but i know that he I believe was given a quarter of payment, you know, split equally with the band. And then the band was found themselves in massive debt and, um, you know, there were lawsuits involved. <laughs> so then that takes us to probably my favorite song, the one band song that's on the album, really, that's uh, Baby Kills. Yeah, it's actually, it is my favorite song. It would stand up on any other Motley Crue album. It's the most Motley of the Motley Crue songs on there. I like the, but this chorus is a little different than what Motley Crue would normally do. Uh, it almost, you know, has sort of like a classic rock feel to the way that the chorus is. Um, not a metal, you know, like a hard rock, not a heavy metal chorus is what I thought. You know what I mean? Um, but it's, you know, the lyrics are pretty good. I mean, it's... Um, what did I say here? Uh, it's got a lot of nice description in it the, uh, of the whole Madonna whore, you know, thing going on. You know, the description of your girlfriend kind of thing. The whole Bible slash Valium, meta, you know, thing was kind of neat. I, right. I, Mixes Valiums with her beliefs. Right. Yeah. 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 That's, a, that's a pretty cool line. So I liked it. It was, it was, like I said, it's the most Molly. It's got the best lyrics. I don't know if John Karabi wrote the lyrics for Nikki Six. It reads like a Nikki Six song. Oh, but, yeah. Um, I definitely, if you look at the credits, they say Karabi six on it. So I don't know, but yeah, actually all, all four, I think are credited, but, uh, either way. Oh, four. well, yeah. it's, 
I'm operating, and this is what is annoying, is I'm operating to get these lyrics. I'm operating off of the iTunes thing. And if it seems way off, then I ignore it. You know what I mean? I ignore it. But yeah. They'll always credit the song. And they tend to say, that in each one, they say, Karabi 6, undocumented. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, so, I, I saw that. Yeah. Right. So I don't know if that, I, I, you know, so I didn't know. So if they're all credited as uh, doing it, then I would assume it's definitely Nikki 6 who wrote all the words. So yeah, it's it's my favorite song. I, it would have actually stood up better to me on the last album, which it was on the last album in deluxe version. But right, yeah. So what do you think, Mike? Yeah, I, the again, the intro cracked me up. I mean, the whole idea of like you know I want to have fun, and then Bob Rock's like, we're not supposed to have fun. We're musicians. <laughs> you know, we get you know get the job done. I mean, I, it cracked me up. I was so entertained by this intro. Um, but you know, at the same time, I think. Um, I forget what year the record came out. But a lot of the riffs and sort of like, and also like the, you know the funky approach to you know the the, the guitar playing, um, you know like almost like a like a Fender Stratocaster kind of tone. It reminded me of the band Extreme in a way. Mm. Ah, that you know, me hearing, too. Okay, All right. yeah. And also like like you know the the idea of like a funky Stratocaster kind of guitar tone, but then with these huge like you know vocal harmonies in a way. You know, in that approach, like, you know, sort of big, like, you know, gang, you know, uh, background vocal was cool. Uh, but also the, uh, that, uh, that riff that's over the, at the end of the chorus, you know, in terms of Baby Kills thing, it also reminded me, again, of an album that came out around this time. Uh, that riff is, is damn close to the Janet Jackson Black Cat riff. Hmm. Huh. Da, 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 You know, it's, it's okay. the same kind of thing, you know, so... Cool, you know, whatever. But, you know, interesting too. I can have all this music that comes out around the same time, but then all of a sudden, you've got Extreme Crew and Janet Jackson. Somehow, all those bands sound the same in some weird way. You know, it's it's a weird, you know, small world when it comes to musicians and in bands. You know, the example that comes to mind is right around the time that uh, Ozzy Osbourne's album No More Tears came out there was this trend among guitar players to bend notes really slowly with vibrato up you know what i mean and it just like it was on a bunch of releases all at once where they were just doing that real soulful slow bend upwards kind of thing yeah who knows why like well (laughs) it's it's almost like every guitar player from that era got all of a sudden got like the omelin brothers you know live at the Fillmore or whatever you know (laughs) know? oh okay now all right now we know Okay, all of a sudden, everybody got you a band of gypsies. You're going to do wah wah. You know, it just happens. Right. Right. I mean, you know, guys know each other. They talk, I guess, but it is funny. Um, It's funny, too, on on the guitar thing. It's just, you know, a fan of music and guitars. I mean, there's always that kind of competitive edge with with musicians. And they're like, okay, I want to. I want to one up the next guy, but then everybody wants to still doing the same damn thing. You know, like everybody gets a wah, everybody gets a talk box, and it becomes a thing. It's, you know, everybody chases their tail, but they're, they're, they think they're getting ahead. They're, they're, they're really not. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I really like this song. I think it could have been on the main Motley Crue album easily. Um, it's one of the few Motley Crue songs that actually sounds happy. Yeah. You know, in a way, yeah. I kind of liken it to Kisses, Love Her All I Can or something like that, because mm-hmm. it's it's so upbeat. The chorus is so catchy. Um and to me, it speaks of a, a certain type of girl that we have all known in the rock world that is sort of this, um, lives this bohemian lifestyle that's equal parts hippie and punk and 
creative and sensitive and perhaps a bit self-destructive all at the same time. And, you know, um, we've all known girls like that and perhaps been in love with one or more of them at various times. And I feel like this song really captures that spirit. Um, you know, I see razors and flowers in her hair, mm. you know, that's mm. a great line. Great. So, line. Yeah. Um, and then I, the, the last thing I'll say about it is that the, the name, Miss Baby Kills, I have to think that that's kind of a reference to the birth control pill, right? The idea that, uh, mm. you know, the woman's free to have sex without worrying about getting pregnant. And that's part of what causes her to live this bohemian lifestyle. And, you know, of course, there's the pun. Yeah, my baby kills, looks that kill, all that kind of thing. But, um, you know when uh, ACDC saying about too many women with too many pills, I guess this is the flip side of that, right? <laughs> Could be, yeah. Uh, but I took it more so for the thing like, you know, my baby kills, like, you know, she's awesome, you know? She, yeah, she's that's kind of how I bought it too, like, but I know. Yeah, I think I, it can can be read both, both ways. ways. I agree. And, and that's the beauty of music, you know, it's right. what you read into it in a way, <laughs> what your takeaway is. Yeah, but definitely yeah. One, of the, one of the better, I shouldn't say better, because these guys, these guys are all super successful and accomplished musicians. It's one of my favorite songs on the record. Yeah. Okay, so now we get to the 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 songs that weren't there, but were on B sides or remixes or Japanese only releases and that kind of thing. So we got ten thousand miles away. Uh, I was okay. So ten thousand miles away. The the. I was the thing that popped in my mind is the Plimsoll song "A Million Miles Away," which then was updated by the Goo Goo Dolls. It's a road song, which is a um, my. I remember my dad saying this when we first started playing. He was like, "Just don't get to that point where you start writing because all you do is you're on the road. So then you wind up writing songs about being on the road, and then there's a million songs about being on the road and being away from your family." And um, that's what it, re you know what I mean? That's what it sounds like as me, uh, to me. It's got a cool, oh, the guitar part at the beginning is pretty cool. I like that a lot. But it doesn't, you know what I mean? It's sort of, um, I kept wanting it to be, you know, the Plimsoll song, not the, not the Molly Cruz song. Yeah, for me, again, this is going to be something I'm going to investigate more so once I get my copy of the CD in the mail, which, by the way, thank you, USPS Priority Mail, ordered the thing like a week and a half ago. It has not <laughs> arrived, you know, and I am a son of a letter carrier, so I know that, you know, those guys are doing what they got to do, but where's my CD? Anyhow, <clears throat> yeah, that, that, that strategy is our sponsorship. So <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we love USPS, right. you know, anyhow. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that intro is... is pure Hendrix, you know, little wing with that yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, guitar. It's great. It's cool to hear, you know, these guys exploring some new avenues in terms of tones they haven't done on other recordings. Um, I hear a lot of Leslie guitar as well and some of the, I think in the verse and in the solo, you know, which is like an organ kind of rotating speaker sound. Um, you know, <clears throat> but I'll embarrass myself and for everybody else. Um, I'm, you know, slightly a, a fan of the band Winger, you know, that's all right, man. It's cool. And for the, for me, that this chorus from the vocal arrangement sounds like it would have been a winger-like arrangement. Like, granted, never never mind the fact that Winger had a song called "Miles Away." You know, okay. but if you listen to the two, you they sound similar. And again, this is you know a band that was of the era. I think that their their version of well, not their version, but you know, with the Winger song "Miles Away" came out in nineteen ninety one or ninety two. 
you know so again it's that small musical community and everybody's influencing each other maybe they don't know it but you know I'm, again i'm not going to speak for Motley crew but i hear winger in the chorus of the song okay in a way yeah i i, I could hear that actually i think madeline is a great song yeah i mean you know again, no matter what no matter what anybody says i think that's the one song that they did where i'm like this is a really good song so, yeah and, and not to make myself you know feel better about you know owning some winger CDs, when you've got the, the drummer from the Dixie Dregs playing, you know, in your band, then you've got to be good musicians, right? That's got to be well, a good band. All those some... guys were ringer studio musicians that played on like the Rat albums and other Yeah, Shaka Khan and, and, and Alice Cooper. Cooper and, yeah. Yeah, so they were That's no... a whole other discussion. Oh, they're no slouches. Slouches. Yeah, they're no slouches at all. I, I like them. No. Yeah, now it's... No, but... Yeah, point being, I, I I hear Winger in the chorus, um, and I think you know it's it's a it's, it's a great arrangement to, in terms of the song, and the, the bridge is cool with the minor chords, and then how it resolves to a major chord at the end. You know, it's a well written song. Maybe should have on the EP. It's a good road song. I to me, it's almost like Karabi writing his version of Home Sweet Home. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and again, are they ever going to top Home Sweet Home in terms of the the archetypical Motley Crue ballad? Probably not, but this is a sort of a valiant attempt. Um, hypnotized. Uh, I listened to this last week as part of the Motley Crue thing. I cannot remember it at all because I forgot to listen to it this time around. I don't remember being that impressed by it the first time I heard it. So I'm just going to keep my review short and sweet. Mike? Yeah, for me, again, I'm hearing bands that were out around the time. I mean, you know, some of the riffs are cool in an Alice in Chains kind of way. Um, you know, the solo, you know, the chords behind the solo and some of the licks remind me again of, you know, the band Extreme. Um, and that outro where it slows down is, you know, to me for sure, an Alice in Chains kind of approach, you know, but also reminds me of, you know, again, albums that came out around this time. Like, oh, no, it would have been later. Um, you know, Kiss Carnival Souls in a way, mm. you know, it's, it's like sort of like this weird, like, funky wannabe you know caucasian guy but it was soul but then mix that with you know grunge and this is what you get in, in my perspective yeah i mean lyrically this song really feels like a demo to me it, it feels yeah. kind of like a sketch more than a fully realized song i mm -hmm. i too i heard it and I didn't remember it, so I had to listen to it again. <laughs> so that's that's never a good sign when that happens in terms of how good a song is. Um, yeah. But it's ours to rediscover if we, if we choose to. You know, so. It is. Yeah. Living in the know. I actually kind of liked it. It's got a uh, that Hendrix open or whatever. Um, and voodoo Child. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's got Voodoo Child opening up. It's a, I said it's a general malaise of the world song. Uh, I like to play on the idea of living in the know versus living in, you know, K-N-O-W versus, you know, that you you lose, you know, you take a bite of the apple and suddenly you, you've lost your innocence or whatever. And then also living in the know, these are the things you need to stay away from, you know, and that kind of stuff, which I think is pretty cool. See, I heard it as, as a play on the phrase living in the now, right? Mm, okay, so like, yeah. oh, you should be living in the now, but he's living in the know, kind of a play on the whole the uh the idea that the unexamined life is right. not worth living but also perhaps the examined life isn't worth living either so. <laughs> well that makes it i mean that makes it a much better song because you've got those three it's a triple entendre or triple you know um thing there because yeah they are talking about problems in the world i mean they even name check magic johnson or whatever in the bridge or whatever 
Um, yeah. And so I, um, I actually like the song a lot. Like I would actually listen to it. I mean, I love the, um, I just love the way they play around with that idea of living in the now living in the, well, I didn't catch that now. No, but the no versus no. Um, and then it's got a cool, it's actually got a pretty cool solo in it. I like the way that Mick plays, you know, the thing that actually stood out to me. So what do you think, Mike? Yeah, I agree. Thanks, Joe. Cause I think, you know, I'll, even though, you know, you know, point being, this is going. This song for sure is going to make me want to revisit. You know, this era uh, of the band. It, it, it's interesting to me. Um, but again, you know, some of it reminds me of the band Extreme, that descending sort of chromatic riff, you know, yeah. which would have been mm. something they would have done on you know pornography. Um, but you know, also the chorus, you know, again, sounds like something that would have been on on later uh, Union record. You know, that you know John worked on with Bruce Kulick. Uh, it you know. It's a decent song. I like it. Um, it's probably one of my favorites of you know the you know the B sides. You know, I dig it. I'll, I'll listen to it more for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, lyrically, it's interesting. It's a little all over the place in terms of talking about a magic has AIDS and then there's a Christmas massacre and the guy's still on the loose. And then, you know, his <laughs> personal wood, women problems between his wife and his yeah, girlfriend. That is a little stupid at the beginning. The first verse should have been rewritten. I will give you that. Yeah. But again, the chorus is clever enough that I think it makes it an interesting, interesting song. Mm -hmm. So that just leaves hooligans holiday remix which i think we may have listened to different versions based we all on listen to three different versions so i'm gonna my version i heard a little more keyboard that's it and like a little bit of keyboard you know what i mean so I, obviously i wasn't listening to the right thing yeah there's apparently at least two other remixes so there's the one that the band did that's like 11 minutes long mm -hmm. and that's the one you heard mike yeah that's the one i heard and i want to say that is it me or does just the overall mix of this sound different from what was on you know, the Motley Crue, Motley Crue record? Is it, is it more crisp or something or more clear? Or am I just imagining that? See, that's what mine sounded like. Maybe I heard the 11 minute one and then bailed out. <laughs> well, maybe what happened with John was, you know, you get to the thing where they do like that breakdown, which, you know, is, you know, cool in a Def Leppard rocket kind of way where you've got these, you know, yeah, yeah. kind of flying in, you know, which is cool. Um, and but, YouTube you know, probably time. threw an ad in there and that screwed me all up. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably. But you know what I mean? Like that breakdown just kind of is really other than, well, the breakdown is really the only thing that I heard that was different. And it kind of goes on for too long. Um, it was almost unnecessary, but it's cool to sit system and go like, you know, I'm a producer. I'm going to throw in some effects and, you know, do this kind of stuff. Well, you know, you know, don't bore us, get back to the chorus, you know, give me the rest of the song. But to me, I, I swear this mix sounds a little more crisp and a little more clear because First of all, two, you know, one of the issues with you know the Motley Crue, Motley Crue record is it's hard to understand John's um, you know approach to the vocals. It's hard to understand what he's singing or, or saying in a way. And I could hear it a little more on this mix. So to me, it, it sounds like a different mix overall. Never mind the fact that you've got this you know new breakdown, you know, that there wasn't on the original version. Well, clearly they had access to all the individual DNA and all the tracks to be able yeah. to transmorgify the song midway into this industrial behemoth monster thing and then take it back to the the original um when i heard this i thought this was the skinny puppy remix are we sure that this is not that well i'll admit i didn't 
I was in a bit of a rush, uh, but I, okay. I didn't. I know that there is one supposedly recorded by Skinny Puppy. I, I admit, I, I'm embarrassed to say I, I don't. I haven't checked it out, but I think if we, you know, revisit it, you know, five dollars says there's another version out there. Okay, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna bet that this is the Skinny Puppy remix, the 11 minute version. Okay, um, I could be wrong, but I, I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting to see what you can do with the DNA of a rock song and just mm. kind of meld it into this other beast and you know from a from a producing standpoint it, it sort of satisfies your curiosity and like oh i see how they repurposed that part and they changed it up and now it's this thing and but does it make for a satisfying listening experience do i want to hear that song take 11 minutes to you know go from beginning to end god no no, I, I don't. I don't see like the Motley Crue fans sitting around going, "I'm going to take a hit of ecstasy and then listen to some Motley Crue, and you know, we're going to get into this thing." You know, it's it's almost like, yes, you can branch out and do other things, but you know, does anybody really want to hear that? You know, maybe do it for your own purposes and listen at home, but you know, the rest of us, we might not be so interested. You know? Well, can I can I can I break if if we're going to finish with this song, I have one more thing to say about sure. um, some other stuff that came out around this time. There was also something I found online. Where there was a version of uh, it was a demo version of Hammered. Okay. But the only thing I wanted to mention about that was it was refreshing to me to hear the mix because it kind of reminded me of like a theater of pain mix on you know that song, which to me again huh. works better in, in terms of you know production-wise, because you know the Motley Crue Motley Crue record is so dense and so well produced. If you check out the Hammered uh, demo, it's just more of like a more basic, you know, you know, back to you know back to the roots you know, of what they were doing you know, in years previous in terms of the mix. I, I dug it. I found it interesting to check out. So you might want to check it out for yourself. And cool. Yeah, I'll do that for sure. So thoughts overall? I'm glad I listened to it. it there was a couple of really good songs on it. I um, And I'm glad I heard uh, Bittersweet and was reminded of the fine film Barbed Wire, which I can't even remember. You mean a Boom. Planet, but right, but the Planet Boom, which oh, yeah. came from Barbara, so yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I liked it. I, I, I actually kind of dug it, and it was kind of, it was an interesting archaeological dig. <laughs> I'm, I'm kicking myself for not buying it when it came out, but once my copy arrives again in the mail, I'm gonna, it's gonna be on my list for sure to, to check out. Um, you know, it's, again, it's like you know, it's always fun to rediscover music that you weren't aware of, of your, you know, from your favorite fans, and that's going to be what happens to the CD once I get in, drive around and check it out. I, I dug it; it's interesting, and I'm sure I'll, you know, be influenced by it in some way, one way, one way or another. Yeah, yeah, I think it's an interesting artifact from from the time, and I thought it was cool. I always like to get the Cracker Jack prizes and the <laughs> prizes in my cereal, and this was like, hey, you just bought a Motley Crue album, well. If you're a diehard, here's another one. Just send your money in and your box tops. And I thought that mm -hmm. was uh, that was pretty cool. Um, I think the seeds of where Motley Crue was going in a lot of ways are are evident on this album. And I think they show themselves uh, much more explicitly for the band in Generation Swine. So we'll talk about that album next week.